Okay, good morning, or afternoon, or evening, or you may be in a place where time just does not even register with you. That's okay. We're glad that you've clicked the play button and that you're uh, ready to follow along with us as we discuss and chat about a chapter of the Bible. We're in the book of Acts. We're in the 19th chapter. And uh, as always, I am joined by my good brother, Jason Bridgman. Jason, are you ready to talk about Acts 19? Well, Josh, I think we might be in a place where time doesn't matter either because <laughs> some of these go on for quite a while. But yeah. no, I'm always excited. I'm ready to get to this. All right. I hope you brought your riot gear because we will need it when we get to the last half of this chapter. Um, we are here in kind of the beginning stages of um, really kind of the third missionary journey now of, of Paul. And... Um, we spent last time noticing his work in uh, the city of Corinth, and we got introduced at the end of the chapter to this young man by the name of Apollos who just needed kind of some rough edges, you know, sanded down a little bit, and that happens. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla help him tremendously. He's now become a, a tremendous asset. I bring all that up because that is how Luke begins this chapter, chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So we've kind of got, um, kind of got a trading of, of places. Paul had been in Corinth. Apollos had been in Ephesus. Well, now Apollos again got some of the edges sanded. He's now ready to be sent out. He then comes to Corinth. Paul then makes his way uh, to the city of Ephesus, um, and it says, and then there he found some disciples. Um, Let's just give a quick little bio of, of the city of Ephesus. Uh, it's been kind of helpful for some of these other cities that we've uh, looked at thus far. Uh, Ephesus was, a, uh, it was on the, the, the coast of Asia Minor, uh, there in like modern-day Turkey, um, and was an important, it was another kind of seaport city, uh, lots of activity coming through there. Um, and it kind of served as kind of a, a, a junction for some major highways through Asia. So there was lots of just lots of traffic going in this place. This is a a, 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 a big town. Probably the big thing that you know made Ephesus an attraction was what we're going to read about here in the last half of the chapter, uh, and that is this temple to Diana. This was a major tourist attraction from what I've read and studied about before. Um, which makes me think that Ephesus, you know, sometimes people paint these pictures of, you know, New Testament uh, civilizations as just being, you know, uh, just kind of these rundown, you know, shabby little places. But, you know, thinking of like a tourist kind of town, I, I kind of pictured in my mind that if, if I'm in the first century, Ephesus probably was a nice place to go. Uh, probably looked pretty. Probably was, you know, as clean as as, as it could be for for that day and time. Again, to to attract uh, the visitors and, uh, like I said, I think all that's going to be very clear when we look here at the last half of the chapter. That that evidently was important to the economy there in mm -hmm. Ephesus uh, and to the people who uh, made their living off of the the, the supposed or the, the expected tourist uh, attractions that would uh, bring people in. I mean, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Yeah. I mean, that's that's big. That's huge. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they had a lot of uh, foot traffic. Yeah. Other traffic. Well, and, and Ephesus, biblically, uh, is kind of a, a big deal. Uh, in a lot of ways, you know, you could kind of say it's going to serve as a kind of a, a, 
a hub for Paul kind of going forward. He's going to mm-hmm. spend a lot longer here than any other place that we know of in, in all of his preaching and all of his travels. This kind of serves as, as, as Antioch West, maybe. Hmm. Um, but Ephesus seems to be kind of a hub where the gospel ends up kind of radiating out from this point on. Of course, there's a letter that's written, and it's called the letter to the Ephesians, but there are actually early manuscripts that Ephesians 1 verse 1 does not say to the church at Ephesus. Actually, it's not written uh, to a specific church, um, which makes a lot of folks think that the Ephesian letter was intended to be a circular letter, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't maybe specifically just for that one church. It was actually for all of the churches that were in that region. All right, yes, once the church at Ephesus reads it, you then send it over here to... You know, the church at Laodicea, once they get done reading it, they send it to the next. Um, and of course, then when you get to the book of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3, there are those seven churches of Asia Minor that are all kind of in this region, in and around Ephesus. Uh, and so it seems like maybe uh, what starts here in Ephesus with, 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 with Christians and the church here uh, kind of is, is responsible for a lot of the work that then kind of bubbles up and expands uh, in the area and the region uh, that is around it. I, I think it, it's no mistake that we have an entire chapter devoted to what happens there in Ephesus. And yeah. Paul spent so much time there. Um, yeah, I, I think sometimes we just gloss over that fact. But this is a significant portion of time. Uh, there, there's a lot that happens there. Yeah. There's mention here in verse 10 that he... He, he spent, there's, there's two years mentioned there specifically, but really when you kind of pl- plug all this in the timeline and some of the events before this and some of the events after this, we're probably talking about closer to three years that he spends yeah. here, uh, which is a long time for, for Paul. Again, a guy that likes to be moving, a guy that wants to, you know, hey, oh, I hear there's a place where they haven't heard about Jesus. I'm there. You know, that's his MO. Uh, but he is going to camp here for a while, and I think it's because he sees the value of, of uh, kind of building some things strong here, getting other disciples strong so that they can then uh, take, you know, the equipping of others so that they can then teach others. And, uh, you know, Paul's only got two legs. <laughs> there's only, you know, so many places he can go at once, but if you get other foot soldiers on the ground, hey, then, then, then you start to see amazing things happen, which is the way, it's the way the gospel is supposed to work anyway. Yeah. Um, so he comes to Ephesus. He finds some disciples here. Verse 2. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Um, let's just talk about uh, just the, the the question that Paul begins with here in verse two when he just asked them, uh, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" Um, I, I don't want to get into a long discussion about why I do not believe that this is talking about um, Holy Spirit in the sense of like Holy Spirit baptism in the sense of like spiritual gifts. I, what what I believe is being talked about here is I believe is being talked about. Uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit that Acts two thirty eight was talking about, which is salvation, is that, is that is that what you would understand? I'm actually on the other camp. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Just because uh, what I see Paul doing here is asking, you know, basically, has there been an apostle here that's imparted these gifts on you? Because that's how he follows up with them at the end. He does do that, that. Uh, and so I, I see it as just a way of asking that. Um, now, what what follows next? The way I look at that is. Okay, well, if you don't know about the Holy Spirit, where do I start? You know, and so he asks a follow-up question. Um, that's the way I see that, and that, that and, and that may be. Um, what, let's just, let's just let, me, let me back up back to the Holy Spirit baptism thing. Okay. Um, I don't think that necessarily um, 
that, that the concern or, or the, that what we ought to gain from this, this is kind of the point I wanted to make, mm-hmm. that the point of this is not, oh, well, if, if, if you're a real Christian, well, then that means that you do have, you know, Holy Spirit-given gifts. Right. Um, yes. Like, you know, miraculous abilities. Um, this is not the place that we want to go to, to, to go kind of proving that because we're going to run into all kinds of other problems with, you know, all these other conversion stories that we've, you know, ran into um, and, you know, that there was not the, the you know, the immediate giving of, of spiritual gifts. Um, and so you, you, you may be correct that it then just may be kind of incidental that, oh, come to find out, well, these guys, uh, actually their baptism that they are familiar with actually is not even the correct baptism either. Um, right. So, so that all right. So, so we got this question: uh, Did you see the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, "Nope, not even heard about a Holy Spirit." And that may be then what prompts Paul to say, "Oh, okay. Well, then we may need to back up even further then, because you guys may, you know, have not got the latest update to the, <laughs> you know, to the yeah. uh, to, to to the messages of God." Verse three, he said, "Into what then were you baptized?" And they said, "Into John's baptism." Okay. So obviously we are a little, you know, got some outdated software here. Uh, you know, if, if you're if you're plugging this on your on your calendar, we're talking here somewhere between you know 52, 53 AD or so. So we're a good, you know, 20 years plus, plus yeah. into uh, the, the 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 full gospel age now. Um, so they're only familiar with John's baptism, and as we talked about last week with Apollos. Um, that was his problem as well. Uh, he only knew the baptism of John. He just needed more information. He needed a software update. And so, uh, verse 4, And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. So, hey guys, you, you, you need to know some more stuff about Jesus. And I don't think that these people would have been just totally ignorant about Jesus. They would have had to have heard something about Jesus. Yeah. You know, there's no way you could have known about uh, John and his baptism without knowing something because John himself was teaching about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a point that, John, that uh, Paul's making here, uh, that you're going to need to believe in this one who would come after him. I wonder, and I can't prove this at all, but since Apollos had just been there, I wonder if these people had been taught by Apollos. Probably. And so, you know, according, you know, because we found out in verse 25 of chapter 18, that Paulus was speaking accurately about the things concerning Jesus, and so there's a lot about Jesus that they did know. Um, but again, like like him, I, I like your tech references. He needed a, a software <laughs> update, and so. Uh, but this is, is kind of cool because you think the place that Apollos just was, Paul is now teaching those people, and the place that Paul just was, Apollos is teaching those people. So it's like uh, sometimes we're the, the person who initiates and some people sometimes we're we're the ones that take people to the next step yeah yeah um, and this is this is really cool how the gospel works and how how we interact with people right right this is uh this is not paul dealing with you know some of these people that have like a complete blank slate like for example you know the people that he encountered in athens mm-hmm. uh here's some people who are right, they're they're a little bit along in the process uh, they just need a little bit more, and um, yeah. which is a little bit little little out out of the norm for for what Paul normally does. Um, but it's about it's, it's about sometimes where, where we find ourselves, where or where God places us, or where God puts people in front of us, and we just need to be ready for whatever uh, duty that that we're called to uh, to serve in. Uh, upon hearing that. Uh, 
this information about, about Jesus, verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm going to guess that probably in the seam of verse 4 and 5, there probably was a little bit more said by Paul than, yeah. than just that one sentence. Probably. Um, and it probably would have included saying something about baptism um, in, the, in the name of Christ and uh, what, what that signifies, you know, how that you know, is representative of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And you need to understand the correlation to all of that. Um, let's just well, let's go ahead and grab verse six and seven, then we'll back up and we'll talk about kind of the, the subject that kind of sometimes comes out of this. Verse six: When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about twelve men in all. And so there is spiritual gifts that do get bestowed upon these men, but it is worth us noting that it's not um, it, it, it's not the result of them you know, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not the result of them even in, in their water baptism. Um, it's not the result of their, you know, salvation experience that they get this. No, the way that they do get these gifts of the Spirit is the way that we've seen it already a couple other times previously in Acts, and that is through the laying on of the hands of an apostle. Um, and there would have been kind of an important reason, I think, for, for the passing on of these gifts. It's not just to give these guys spiritual gifts because, hey, that's just part of the package when you become a Christian. You get all this neat stuff that you can do. No. Th these are people who, you know, here, you know, for example, in, in the city of Ephesus, um, who would be able to then do some of the things that that early church would have needed to have had. Uh, there was kind of some necessity in some of the spiritual gifts that were given uh, so that they can then uh, carry out the work that uh, God had entrusted uh, Christians to do in that, in that time. Yeah, and I, I want to clarify what I said earlier. Um, I, I am not on the, the side of saying that he was referring to a Holy Spirit baptism, yeah, like a, right. you know, a specific thing like that. Um, but there is that, you know, like Acts 8, like we were saying, that's how the, those miraculous gifts were transferred, apostles. And so if you happen to be an apostle and have that ability, it's helpful, yeah. um, you know, to be able to do that for, for the sake of confirming that what you're saying is true. You know, we've, we've talked about that before. They didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament anyway. And yeah. they, they weren't able to point to a letter from Paul to say, you know, this is the doctrine that we need to believe. Um, they had to rely on what they had been taught and what they had received directly from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, which is is much different than what we encounter right now uh, today. Now that that whole thing about uh, the follow up question that Paul asked, I think that's that's really good. And you think about sometimes if we are interacting with people and they hold a belief that that we don't agree with or, or we believe is false, sometimes I think we jump to conclusions and start like saying, well, you can't believe that because that's awful. Mm -hmm. um, what we really need to do is, well, maybe where they're, where they're at in their belief is because they have some missing information somewhere. They don't understand something, maybe about the authority of the scriptures mm -hmm. um, or, or about how, you know, the reason why we do certain things. And so, uh, you know, how why the Old Testament isn't meant for, uh, you know, our doctrinal beliefs, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so when we interact with people, we need to ask more questions. Mm -hmm. We don't need to just automatically jump to a conclusion and say, well, you're a false teacher. Uh, we had that discussion too. Uh, but we need to follow up and ask questions to get to the root of the matter to see, you know, okay, where are you in your understanding? If yeah. you don't do this, or if you have this belief, 
where did you, you know, divulge off of the, the path? If we're just doing the math in, in the conversation that Luke records for us between these people, there's three statements that Paul makes. Two of them are questions. So two-thirds yeah. of, of, of the stuff that he said was questions. And then there was a third of some, you know, some telling, so to speak, yeah. and and that is what often happens, uh, way too often in our our evangelistic conversations, is we do way too much telling, mm-hmm. and and there needs to be more listening, and uh, and there needs to be more asking of of, of questions to provoke um, discussion, you know, actual back and forth, and not so much, you know, lecturing and. Um, we have twice as many ears as we do mouths. That's that is the way our anatomy, <laughs> you know, works. Yes. I taught anatomy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's talk about just the the the, the and, and I've and I've pointed to this before as a great example of of this. The idea of rebaptism. Um, <clears throat> sometimes you'll have folks who, um, you know, have a baptism. Uh, in their history, maybe they were baptized, um, you know, as a as a child. Maybe they were baptized uh, as a young adult or an adult, and they they knew what they were doing. But they maybe learned later, you know, new things, and 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 they just weren't really sure about what they, um, you know. Well, I'm thinking back, and I don't really know that I fully understood this or that, and so. Uh, if for nothing else, for the own clearing of my own conscience, you know, can I be baptized again? And sometimes you'll hear folks say, well, you can't be baptized again because if you were baptized correctly the first time, well, then that was your actual baptism. Well, let's just, first of all, if, if, if you were baptized, if you were immersed in water, you were baptized. Now, you may not have been baptized into Christ, you may not have been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, but if you were immersed in water, you were baptized. And I don't see why we need to, you know, get all, you know, semantic-y about that. It's like, you know, it, it, these guys here in, in Acts 19, they weren't baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, but they were baptized. Paul acknowledges that they were baptized. Uh, you just need to be baptized again. You need to be baptized for, for, for different reasons, for a different uh, understanding. Um, this is a passage that I've just often pointed to for folks who maybe later on upon learning more about the gospel, maybe having a better understanding of, say, for example, you know, what Romans 6 teaches about that baptism is designed to be uh, a death to sin. You know, if I was baptized originally and I, there wasn't really much thought or concern about changing my relationship to sin, um, I can see a person later on saying, I, I, I want to do that again because I understand that better now. Um, and it's not going to hurt anything. You know, I guess that's what I come down to. It's like, I know people that have been baptized you know, multiple times throughout their life. And obviously at some point, I, I, I want to get to a place in my, in my walk with God where I, I can be sure of my salvation. Mm-hmm. You know, think about the, the, the first epistle of, of John. John so often just talks about, you know, we know that we are, you know, His and we, we are in Christ and uh, we're certain of, of, of where we stand with Him. We want to get to that point, but there are sometimes circumstances and, and, and things that do cause people to have doubt. Some of that's the devil's work. A lot of yeah. that's the devil's work. Uh, some of it's just, just our own misunderstanding about things. Um, 
And so there is a place for the, this concept of being rebaptized, being baptized again. Again, I understand there's only one baptism. Paul's the guy who taught that. <laughs> um, yeah. um, you know, I understand that to the church at Ephesus. Exactly. Yeah. Not coincidentally. Uh, I, I get all of that. Uh, but it may be that a person, uh, when they were immersed, that's really just what baptism means. It means they're immersed. Uh, yeah. Who was immersed prior, uh, that maybe they just didn't have it all uh, together. And um, some of that may be just uh, in their own mind. Uh, some of it may be legitimately. Maybe you probably actually should. Now, I do find it interesting here that there's not any mention here that Paul commanded these guys or told them to do it. Instead, Paul just presented verse 4. Let me present you the information about Jesus and no doubt about the baptism that, that he authorized. And then it says in verse 5, upon hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I, I take it that this was these guys' decision. Yeah. I, I think it's very possible that one of these 12 guys could have said, Nah, I'm good. Yeah, thanks anyway. Ultimately, it comes down to everybody's got to make that decision for themselves. I bring that up because I had a conversation with a brother recently, and he was talking about, uh, you know, a, a person that he cared about very deeply, who had a denominational kind of understanding of of, of baptism and and mm -hmm. the baptism that they had in their own uh, life, and he was concerned about that. And I just told him, I said, "Look, all you can do is just show from the scriptures, you know, what what scriptures teach about about baptism, the one baptism." Yeah. But you can't force that, you know, just like you can't force the person who's never been baptized to get into the baptistry. What good's it going to do? Um, you know, that's, a per that's an individual decision that everybody's going to have to make, and I think these guys made that decision for themselves. Yeah, it seems to be so, for sure. Man, you, you think about the situation and, and compare this to how we think about baptism sometimes. I, I mean, so first of all, when he asked that first question, did you receive that when you believe? Um, he didn't say anything about baptism in that question. He yeah. just asked, you know, when you believed. Yeah. But it's like, it, it, so it's side point. He automatically assumed there was baptism involved if they believed. Right, right. Um, which is an important point. Yes. Um, but you think about what John's baptism was. You know, he mentions there it was a baptism of repentance. So, uh, you know, for, for if we were doing our checklist of what makes a valid baptism, you know, did you repent? Yes. Did you believe? Yes. Did you, uh, were you fully immersed? You know, sprinkling, that's not... <laughs> even baptism, because, yeah. you know, that's not what the word means. Different word. Um, but, you know, were you immersed? Yes. Um, were you baptized for the remission of sins? Mark 1 says that John's baptism was for the remission of sins. So, yes. Like, they've checked a lot of boxes there. Yeah. Um, it, it's like, from my perspective, it seems pretty legit, doesn't mm -hmm. it? But then there was this, this whole thing, because the point I'm making here is, did... Was the baptism that they received a valid baptism? It was for a time. For its time. For its time it yeah. was. But when there was more information and they, they came to a fuller knowledge, they realized, okay, even though this was good for what it was for, I need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. like it, because it's Him. Because what, Think of Romans 6, what that means for us. The, the baptism is the entering into that... The connection with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and so that's what we are are looking at. Um, so, all that being said, 
if these people who had received a valid baptism at one point decided that they needed to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, how much more do we, if we discover that there's something amiss about our baptism, yeah. about whether, you know, I don't know if it was, if I was baptized for the remission of sins, because when I was baptized, I thought it was just, you know, to show people that I was already saved. Um, well, that's not the baptism we read of. It's a different, it's a different understanding. Uh, that, that's baptism with a for a completely different purpose and a different understanding. And uh, I think in those cases we would be wise, you know, with our own soul to just kind of let's go back, let's recalibrate, let's reassess. Um, I guess all this discussion maybe we need to temper it with with saying as well. Um, we, we don't want to run to the opposite extreme where, you know, and I know people like this who just kind of almost feel like every time they commit a sin that they need to be baptized again. Yeah. No, that you, you don't need to do that. Right. Uh, you know, even, even like Romans chapter 6, uh, when Paul talks about, you know, um, you know, that you're baptized into Christ so that you would, you know, no longer be a slave to sin, well, he doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again. What he simply means is, is that sin as being the dominant force, the ruler and the dictator in your life, that rule has come to an end. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I'm now seeking to be a slave of the Lord, but from time to time I do fall short, uh, God has another way in which we are forgiven of those sins. First John chapter 1 talks about you know, if we'll confess our sins and uh, what we studied in Acts chapter 8 with uh, Simon the sorcerer, that was a guy that had been baptized. Peter didn't tell him, hey buddy, you need to be baptized again uh, because you're trying to you know, buy off you know, Holy Spirit-given gifts. No, he said you need to repent and you need to pray and ask God for forgiveness. And so um, God has other remedies other than you know, we've got to run and find a baptistry every time mm -hmm. that we you know, say a cuss word or tell a lie or, or whatever other sinful things that we do daily. Yeah, and that just imagine how you know burdensome that would be. Yeah, uh, yeah. To every time we we have to be baptized again, um, and I, I do think we run into that danger sometimes if we do develop that mentality of well, just just do it again. Um, you know, because there comes a point where it's like okay, like you were saying before, we do have to be assured of our salvation, mm -hmm. um, and we we have to realize okay. I've done what the Lord has said to do, you know, based on His Word, and uh, whether or not—and this is a big thing—whether or not I feel like, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm good, you know, that that just because you feel a certain way doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it, it's good or not. Um, you know, we can feel saved and not be saved. Yeah. Um, and so we just we just have to to trust that what God said is true. And that if we've done that, then, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, you know, um, we're going to do what he says. First John chapter 3, verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. And so uh, that, that kind of speaks to sometimes the folly of, of you know, our, our feelings, you know, as being a basis for, for salvation. Um, uh, well, all of this, maybe just one other final parting shot about all of this, is that there's going to be continued growth and greater understanding as we progress along in our, in our walk with the Lord. You know, I was baptized July the 31st, 1996. I was uh, close to being 16 years old at the time. 
Um, that's been 20, you know, 20, going on 24 years ago now. Um, did I understand everything and the depths of what baptism means at that time? I can say without a shadow of a doubt, no, I did not. Hmm. Um, yeah. Did I understand fundamentally that it was to be put into Christ and that it was to have my sins washed away? Yes, I did understand that. And I think that's sufficient. Uh, yeah. Have I grown to greater appreciation and kind of just the depth and the meaning and the significance of baptism since then? Absolutely. And that's a good thing. And, um, and, and the Lord does not require some kind of perfect understanding. I know this question oftentimes comes up, you know, when it comes to like young children who mm -hmm. say they want to be baptized, and we just kind of start running through all these series of questions, and we want to know if they've got the correct kind of understanding, and 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 that's important, right. but but that can be overdone, um, and we can potentially end up, you know, stifling the 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 spirit of a young person because we you know we want them to have almost the understanding that we do as an adult who's had, you know, two times, three times, four times as much, you know, amount of time to figure this stuff out and understand it. Yeah. Uh, there are some fundamental things that, that a person needs to understand about that, but it is not a requirement for you to know everything. I do think in the case of these guys here in Acts 19, they were missing some information about Jesus yeah. that, that from Paul's perspective, that's pretty fundamental. They needed to have that. You can't go, go without that and then go the rest of your life thinking, well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a New Testament Christian. No, actually, you're, you're missing a, a really big piece there. And, and that can be so for us, but, um, but we don't need to, to be scared into thinking that we, you know, I've, I've got to master all of this stuff. You know, it's almost like I've got to pass some kind of a test mm -hmm. before I can qualify to become a Christian. That's not the case. Um, it's like getting. Uh, I need to. I need to feel better before I go to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and as we've pointed out, like in the case of, um, you know, uh, the Philippian jailer a couple chapters ago, that guy didn't understand everything about everything. There's no way he could have understood everything about everything. Paul and Silas taught the guy for at most maybe a couple of hours that evening before he was baptized. Yeah. You know, so he had probably very limited knowledge, but. He, he had the fundamentals, you know, to be able to make a, uh, a, a mature decision about that and then make that commitment to the Lord. Because that is what's happening when we're being baptized. We are making a commitment to Christ uh, to, to now live for Him. And we need to understand about that. There is some counting of the costs that needs to be done. Yeah, amen. Um, and, and just to reiterate and, and to be clear, the laying on of hands and, and passing on the, the spiritual gifts, that was not a, you know, a thing that every single believer received. Right. You know? and, and just, just to be, for, out of abundance of caution, to be clear, um, you know, that was a special, specific thing that the apostles could do that we see here in chapter 19 and also we saw in chapter 8. Right, right. Well, so uh, verse 8, uh, that's you know, Paul's encounter with these guys as he's, making his way to Ephesus. Now, verse 8, he's in Ephesus. Verse 8, And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Uh, I love the words that, you, that Luke uses here. Uh, reasoning, mm -hmm. persuading, that, that, that indicates that there is 
discussion. There's there's Bible study happening here. There's yeah. there's some give and there's some take, and uh, it's not just you know a guy just you know lecturing or browbeating. No, there's uh, there's back and forth happening. It wasn't. I'm going to throw the Holy Spirit on you, and you cannot resist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. It's a, it's a thank you man's religion. Yeah, and there's there's the, the persuading as well. It, I mean, that would yeah. indicate that all right, it's going to take some time to maybe get some people fully persuaded. You know, we'll meet a guy here later on who's almost persuaded mm-hmm. uh, later yeah. in Acts, um, and, and there may be people who end up well, I'm not persuaded, and so I'm not going to have anything to do with this. True. As he enters the synagogue, obviously that's indication that there is a Jewish presence here in. Uh, in the town, mm-hmm. uh, although this probably is a, a predominantly Gentile uh, region. Verse 9, But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them, and he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so Paul you know, is met with resistance, as has you know, we've we've seen varying degrees of that in in just about every place that he goes, um, and he reaches a point. This is something we've not seen him do previous, at least not in this specific way. Where, all right, instead of continuing to meet here, I'm going to take the people who do believe. You know, kind of the genesis of 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 of, of the church in Ephesus here, mm-hmm. and we're just going to pack up. And we're just going to move to a new church building, essentially. <laughs> you know, we're not going to make yeah. the synagogue our church building. Instead, we're going to go over here uh, to this th- this hall, uh, kind of a school of this guy Tyrannus. It's interesting. This guy Tyrannus. His name, the name literally means what it looks like: tyrant, Ty- dictator. Yeah. <laughs> which is that's kind of funny. The, the thought of people sending their kids to a school. That's operated by a guy whose name literally means tyrant. Uh, seems crazy to me. Now, a parent who would name their kid tyrant. Or just, yes. I mean, <laughs> I, I wonder if that's a nickname that his students gave him. I mean, either way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're going we're gonna to now use this as kind of our, 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 our meeting place. Um, and, you know, this is a, a, a place where, um, and actually I think... One of the manuscripts uh, in, in this particular verse actually gives a little bit of information where it adds that Paul used this meeting hall from the fifth hour to the tenth hour of the day, oh. which would have actually been like the hottest part of the day, if you're talking like in summertime, right? Um, which means that's the hours of the day where it's not being used for school. You know, school is probably going to be used during like the morning hours when it's, you know, more pleasant. Uh, it's empty during those hours of the day where it's hot, which if that's all true, it just says something about, you know, the, the, the good heart of these people who came and assembled. Like, we're not going to be deterred by, hmm. by scorching hot summer weather. It doesn't matter to us. We're going to come and hear the Word of God. That's what's most important. Uh, we've got brethren in other parts of the world who, you know, even to this day, endure those kinds of things, and God bless them for it. And here we are sitting in our comfy air-conditioned church buildings and gripe when it's, you know, <laughs> one degree over 72. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, you know, it's something I, I see in this, too. Uh, why does it say daily? I mean, aren't we just required to worship twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday? <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't... <laughs> 
they they had a, a desire, yeah. and uh, that's as much as they could. They wanted to learn, and they wanted to grow, and they wanted to to have a, a greater knowledge uh, of scriptures. I think we need that. We need more of a daily approach to scriptures instead yeah. of just you know fill me up once a week. Yeah, um, and we've seen again. That's another one of those kind of pattern things we've seen in Acts. We saw it all the way, you know, back in Acts chapter two. Those first Christians in Jerusalem, they were spending time together and worshiping together and studying together day by day. Um, Acts uh, seventeen, we talked about the noble Bereans. They searched the scriptures daily. daily. You right. know, it wasn't just a Wednesday and Sunday activity for them. Uh, so yeah, there's this just a great uh, example here where, you know, and even if we're not necessarily meeting together as an entire church daily, and I realize that, you know, sometimes that's not just not it's not always logistically yes. possible. I get right. that, um, but there is something to be said though about just being involved in spiritual activities daily, even yeah. if I'm just doing that by myself, uh, or if I'm doing it with, with another Christian or a couple of other people, uh, daily disciplines. And I think that is a concept that is all throughout the New Testament, the idea of daily disciplines uh, for the Lord. Um, what else do you want to say? Anything else you want to say here about them getting mad and Paul uh, shifting shifting his location for the teaching? Well, I mean, it, it's just this... We we might consider, you know, I could do this whole daily thing for, you know, a few weeks, maybe a couple months, but after a while, uh, it gets old. Um, no, not for them. You know, this took place, verse 10, two years. Yeah. So at least two years they were meeting daily. I, I don't know. Sometimes we look, we, we're too literal. I don't know that that means like every 365 days a year, but that was their regular practice. Yeah. Um, to be together, and maybe not all of them. You know, maybe they had some separate studies. Some people would come for one, whatever. But they they did that. There was a, a lot of endurance there, um, and that's just an amazing thing to consider the endurance that takes, um, and you know, just the attitude of people wanting to do that. Yeah. That that note at the end of verse ten uh, about how the fact that this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. I think that speaks again to what we kind of began with talking about Ephesus, kind of serving as a hub, and how the gospel then radiated out uh, from there. Um, and that may be also one of those places too, where you know, verse ten when it says all the residents of Asia. All right, are we to take that literally that it means like every single individual who, <laughs> right. who lived on the planet in that was a you know a resident of Asia heard? Not entirely sure, but I, th the indication there is that everybody had the opportunity, if nothing exactly. else, right, to hear the word. I thought that, I think it's kind of cool. Uh, second missionary journey, Paul wanted to go to Asia, but God wouldn't let him, um, and now he's here, uh, and it spends a full two years, mm -hmm. cl close to three probably. Yeah. And now, because of that, uh, it, it was the right time. Um, you know, maybe this interaction with the people that Apollos had taught first, mm -hmm. maybe that's what needed to happen to, you know, uh, the sequence of events that would help lead to, to the rest of this. Um, you know, our timing, we, we don't know why things happen sometimes. Yep. Uh, our plans get changed so often, but uh, we see... The conclusion, and, and maybe this helps, and, and doesn't even explain to us. We don't see that here. Maybe this was, maybe it wasn't, but Paul had intended to do that before, but now everybody had heard. Yeah. Um, and, and so maybe that wasn't possible before. 
it, it's it's not not all this information is given here in verse ten, but you know this two years is a I, I, I've always taken it as being probably a very productive and fruitful time in Paul's work. Mm -hmm. uh, this would be where 1 Corinthians was written was yeah. during this time. Um, and, it, of course, you got all these, you know, the, the, the making of disciples and equipping of disciples and they're being sent out and they're helping to get these churches planted in all these other places around uh, the region, uh, round about Ephesus. Um, and so we don't get a whole lot of information, and really, what verse ten is is kind of the, the kind of the, the closing statement. So, verse eleven, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So, here's another one of those spots where Luke is telling us some stuff about about Paul's work. And I do think it is designed specifically to show how Paul is, is on equal footing with Peter as an apostle. And at the same time, it's also showing he's like Jesus. You know, we go back to, 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 to the Gospels. Think about Jesus' encounter with that woman who came up behind him and just touched the hem of his garment. And then she was healed. Or we think about then in Acts chapter 5 when, you know, people were wanting to just get in Peter's shadow, you know, because they thought that they could be healed by that. This is Luke's way, once again, of saying Paul possessed that same power um, and, and to show that he is an authoritative figure. Uh, he's not, um, you know, this renegade different guy doing his own thing. No, he's following in the footsteps of Jesus following in the same kind of pattern as, as Peter, which was kind of a forefront uh, apostle was doing. Uh, this is another example of that with these people uh, coming here and just, you know, even just wanting to get to touch the, the handkerchief or the aprons in order to be healed. Yeah, the order of verse 11 helps us see that a lot. You know, God was performing extraordinary miracles. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like that by the hands of Paul. It, it was Paul who, who was like physically doing it, but yeah. it was God. It, it really was. Um, and I, I just that word extraordinary, you know, as opposed to ordinary miracles. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, it's just kind of funny. How do you but, differentiate between those? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and I wonder if it was like the people you know were used to seeing people healing. You know, well, the apostles anyway, uh, or those that possessed the spiritual gifts. But to take an apron or handkerchief or a piece of cloth and that cast out a demon yeah like really um you think about what the other exorcists in the area were doing and you know maybe a uh, little hint here but maybe say magic words or or whatever to to do stuff and maybe if i find the right right combination of words i can do it what well, paul is just like here take this napkin yeah. You know, that, that was it. <laughs> yeah. No, it shows the power is in God. It's not in some kind of magic secret formula. Right. Well, segue then, verse 13. So we're talking about, you know, amazing miracles. And of course, one of the most powerful miracles was whenever demons were driven out of, of, of people. You know, we've talked a little bit, and, and this may actually be probably, if I'm not mistaken, this may be actually one of the last mentions of of demon possession uh, here in, at least in the book of Acts. Uh, so we will spend a couple minutes talking about uh, exorcisms and so forth. But, you know, demon possession just flummoxed people in, in New Testament times. And so when Jesus came on the scene and he started driving those out, that caught people's attention. Uh, 
And now, of course, we got apostles that are uh, doing that very same thing. And so there is certainly an intrigue that is caused by having the power to exercise demons. And that catches the eyes of certain folks. So verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. I'm going to just say right here about, you know, Luke describes them as itinerant Jewish exorcists. I'm going to say that I believe these are people who were just professing to do that. I don't think these are people who were actually doing that. Uh, I think these are people who, you know, maybe either they had convinced people that they had that power, or again, they were just going around just claiming that. Uh, and so Luke just in, you know, in, in, in his attempt to just describe who these guys were, he just calls them that. I don't think Luke is trying to say, oh yes, these guys had, had you know, miraculous power themselves. Uh, because clearly they did not here in just a moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the word itinerant, I think that means something like along the lines of traveling. They, they would go different, like had an itinerary yeah. going from one place to another. Uh, you can't stay in one place too long if you're not actually legitimate. Yeah, and people, so, people start to figure you out. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and and we, we there's people today who will who will do that, who have like de- demon possessed, cast out demons, you know, claim to be exorcist uh, and that sort of thing. But I think there's a clear distinction on, on what the truth is. Yeah. Well, you think about like the Benny Hinn, uh, you know, yeah. traveling ministry. I don't know if you ever saw the movie back in the early 90s, late 80s, Leap of Faith with Steve Martin, and he's a, he's a traveling uh, faith healer. Hmm. And his whole M.O. is that he goes into small little towns, sets up shop for a couple days, you know, impresses people with his trickery, and then he gets out of town. Yeah. And that's how it works. And usually he don't come back to that town. <laughs> and, and that's the way the Benny Hens of the world, you know, and the people like that operate. And that's the way, that's the way it's always been, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, we'll, you know, wave our hands and say some words. These guys, though, they, they are rather astute because they do recognize the real thing when they see it. And what they recognize about the real thing when Paul's doing this is they hear, oh, uh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, they're saying something about Jesus. So let's, let's do that. Let's, let's grab that. Let's co-opt that and take that for ourselves. Uh, so um, these Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. <laughs> you know, we don't even know enough about this Jesus to really even say anything authoritatively about him ourselves. But he's that same Jesus that that Paul guy has been going around and talking about. And, you know, this is, this is what um, sometimes people who are, um, don't have a true, you know, knowledge of, of like the scriptures or of, of spiritual things will sometimes do. I think about this, man, this is going to be a bad episode because I keep making all these movie references. But <laughs> I think about in Indiana, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, so they're looking for the Ark of the Covenant. And the, I remember there's the, the, the comment that said, I don't remember if it's Indy or who says it, but they said, the ark serves as a radio transmitter to God. Oh, yeah. That's what they really thought that, that it would do. Like, if we have that, if we can just find that, that actual piece of, you know, material, that box that had been made, yeah. then we would be able to talk to God. No, you don't know what you're talking about, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of 
rooted in some, some faulty understanding of what the Old Testament talked about, but that's the way that it is even today. Folks will hear just some little something about the Bible and they'll kind of latch on to that and it's just fraught with holes and just a, a, a lack of understanding fully what they're talking about. If I could say the right words, or if I could say the right prayer. Yeah. Uh, you know, what a lot of people commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Um, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like, if we say that enough, yeah. you know, maybe I'll have this special connection, or maybe you know, some kind of rosary idea, or, mm -hmm. you know, if there are certain types of pray prayers that I pray, doesn't matter if I'm really thinking about it or, or really, you know, in my heart, as long as I say it, the right combination, as as do it. Yep. Yeah, if I can find it, you know. You think about ugh, this, just flabbergasts me. So, Jews, what kind of idea about Jesus did the Jews have? Were they fans of Jesus? Did they believe in him? No. But what were these Jewish guys doing? Well, if it works, you know, might as well say it. Yeah. You know that that's insane. Yeah. Um, but you know. How often do we do things like that? How often do we offer mindless prayers? How mm -hmm. often do we sing songs and not think of the words that we're singing? Yep. You know, we're just going through the motions. That We're no better off than these people. Yeah, yeah. It's There is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in, in God's name. You know, I, There's so much in the Bible that, that's talked about um, you know, knowing the name of God. Um, yeah. it, but, but that carries with it more than just the words. It, it's yeah. a sense of actually knowing the person and knowing what they are about. And that's what that's what's meant when we're talking about the name of Jesus. Uh, or we sing songs like, take the name of Jesus with you. Mm. Right? Yeah. It's more than just, uh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's yeah. all that Jesus is. That's what that means. Yeah. Um, you don't have to have the WWJD bracelet or the cross <laughs> right. or you know. Right. It's, um, your life. Well, so, so they're, they're saying this, and we're told they're identified verse 14. These are seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva that were doing this. What follows then in, in these next couple of verses is another great place to just say conclusively, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> this is funny stuff. I don't care how you, you, you cut it. It's funny. It uh, verse 15, But the evil spirit answered them. So we got these seven hucksters. And the evil spirit says, okay, let me say something to these guys that are over here trying to call me out. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? <laughs> I mean, it's just, what a great line. Yeah. I, mean, you know, I don't want to give compliments to the devil or to agents of the devil, but there's, there really is like a great, powerful truth in, in what he says here. Uh, you know, that... Yeah, I, I know who Jesus is, and that guy's got real power. And Paul, I know who he is. I know that he really is a, a servant of Jesus and is acting on his behalf, and he's been causing you know, lots of my brethren demons, lots of problems here lately. Uh, but you seven guys, uh, never heard of you. Don't know who you are. <laughs> you, know. you don't have the authority. You got no credentials. Yeah, you got no authority. Um, let me just say before we finish looking at the reaction here, I actually think there's probably a, a probably a good sermon here in verse 15. Mm. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Think about um, there are folks who, who kind of try to, to discredit uh, Paul's teaching in his writing. People today, you know, I, just give me the Jesus stuff. Um, 
Well, Jesus accredited Paul. Um, but you can do that with all kinds of, of, of subjects, you know, but baptism. Well, I know what Jesus says about that, Mark 16, 16. I know what Paul said about that, Acts 22, 16. But this guy over here who says that baptism isn't for salvation, um, who are you? I don't know you. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the church. I know what Jesus said about that, Matthew 16, verse 18. Uh, 16, 17, and 18. Uh, he's going to build his church. I know what Paul said about that, Ephesians 4, one church. But you over here who said that, you know, there's all kinds of different churches, uh, who are you? You know, um, it's not to say that, that Paul's authority is greater than, than, than Peter's or John's or any of the other, you know, uh, gospel writers that we, that, that we have as well. Um, but there's something to all of that. And uh, it's about, it's, it comes back to authority. You know, where's our authority? Yeah, it, uh, we have no significance on our own. Um, our ideas, you know, our, our thoughts, our concepts of what even, what pleases God. Yeah. It doesn't matter what we think. Um, it's all about what God illustrates and what He shows. I mean, He proved in verse 11, God was performing these miracles. Yeah. You know, it just happened to be at the hands of Paul. Um, you know, God is doing the teaching. It just happens to be through our mouths sometimes. Right, right. Um, but it's all about what the Lord's doing. Um, and so if we aren't on the side of the Lord, and if, if we don't have His words and, and aren't filled with His wisdom and have His authority, then it doesn't matter what I think. Yeah. Um, you know, it really doesn't. But, it know, doesn't. Who I, are we? You know, I, I, <laughs> it's hard for me not to, you know, plug in the face of of of, of Benny Hinn here, or, <laughs> or or some other kind of, you know, the Robert Tiltons of 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 the world, the Jim Bakers, you know, all these other just phonies. Um, verse sixteen: um, the man then in whom was the evil spirit leaped on these seven guys mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Uh, the Josh McKibben South Central Kentucky translation of verse 16 is, uh, he whooped them. <laughs> he did. He Gave them a good. whooping and they, they, went, they went a running. Uh, I, I, you know, it says naked and wounded. Uh, maybe the, the, the stripping of them, their clothes, was kind of probably designed to humiliate them. Yeah. Um, and you know, here's a case where um, you know God didn't intervene, Paul didn't intervene, and stop this demon from doing this um, because it ends up sending kind of a strong message to the whole rest of the region. There, verse 17 is going to tell us that, and so God kind of allows, you know, kind of a bad thing, I guess, to happen here, but He's going to use it for a good purpose. And, and we see this kind of a small-scale version of. Of God's done that historically, and God, I think, continues to do that today. You know, people maybe think about right now with the coronavirus and so forth. You know, mm -hmm. did God cause that? I don't know uh, if God's sent that as a pestilence on our land, but it could be said that God is simply, if nothing else, He is allowing it uh, in order to to try to get some people's attention and to you know bring about some repentance. Um, I mean, that, there again. We learn that we are not self-sufficient, yeah. uh, and in in this whole you know pandemic the past few months, we 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 can't control things. Right. We from day to day, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know, you know, what our life is going to look like. Uh, you know, if if you ask me in February, you know, if, <laughs> if, if you know, do you foresee any? kind of differences in your normal everyday life. No. Right. Like it was just every day was the same as any other. Mm -hmm. 
but we are insignificant. We are small. We have no control. So there again, do all things by in the name of the Lord, yep. um, by His authority, um, and it. You know, that's the only thing we can have really trust in. Yep. Well, verse seventeen already alluded to it. Uh, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all of them. And the name of Jesus, of the name of the Lord Jesus, was extolled. Um, here's again, kind of some more shadows. I, I mentioned Acts five earlier with the the you know the Peter's shadow and and all that. Uh, here's kind of another incident where kind of a jarring moment happens, but it causes great fear to call, fall upon everyone, and uh, the word of the Lord continues to. To grow because of it. it doesn't have a negative effect, it actually has a positive uh, effect. Um, verse 18, 19, verses 18 and 19 are really powerful verses. And I, I, these are probably some of the most underutilized passages to talk about the subject of repentance. Hmm. Yeah. These are powerful verses about repentance. Verse 18 Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced the magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver." So in Ephesus there was evidently kind of a, a, you know, a, a pretty strong presence and contingent of what I'm going to call the occult. Yeah. You know, when it talks here about uh, magical arts, these are not you know, Penn and Teller, David Copperfield, <laughs> you know, kind of magicians yeah. where it's just sleight of hand and card tricks and sawing the lady in half and all that sort of stuff. Um, this is sorcery. This is uh, the, the kind of, again, occult practices where we're, we're, we're sometimes was even dealing in hallucinogenics. Uh, the, the word that's translated sorcery in our New Testaments is the word pharmakia, which is where we get you know, our idea of, of, of hallucinogenic pharmaceutical kinds of, of, of drugs. It was designed to distort reality, and sometimes that involved the, the calling upon the, the, the dark world, the spirit world, the demonic world, and uh, it's just fraught with all kinds of just evil, to be honest with you. Um, Maybe if we're thinking about comparisons today, um, we are thinking about things like, I'm just trying to think of things that relate to people. We are talking about things like, you know, Ouija boards. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know there's some people who think, well, it's just kind of harmless fun, but that's not really what that's designed to, it's not what it's rooted in. Uh, we're even talking about stuff like, you know, horoscopes. Um, and, you know, I remember a couple years ago there was the Charlie Charlie Challenge. Uh, where you do this thing with a pencil, and uh, yeah, you're calling it's some some no dead person named Charlie. Huh. Uh, it's the you know it's the standing in front of the mirror and saying the Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary thing. It's it's yeah. all of that kind of the the, the dark uh, spirit world, uh, and really it's designed to kind of make light of that. That's really kind of the problem with all of it is it's not taking it seriously yeah. and it's not treating it as it should be treated. Um, you know, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about that there are dark spiritual forces that are at work. Now, whether people today 
are possessed by a demon the way that this guy was here in, in, in Acts chapter 19. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not compelled to believe that, that that still happens today in that same sense. But do demonic forces, um, do they work in people's lives? Does, does Satan and his various demons and evil spirits, do they work in people's lives to call them, cause them to come under his power and his dominion? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, what else do we? How else do you explain, you know, the guy who comes into to the church building and shoots and just indiscriminately just starts shooting and killing people? That guy is 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 under the influence of evil and Satan, and sure. and, and that's what these magical arts are 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 based in, and they're dabbling in at the very least, uh, is it's dabbling in that sort of stuff, and you've got these people here who they are giving all of that up just entirely. Yeah. And you really just can't say enough about um, the significance of what they're doing here. When it says that they come and they, they divulge their practices, all right, so I'm no longer going to do that for a living. So I'm giving up my job. You know, I'm, I'm giving up my means of income. Then secondly, when it says that they uh, brought their books together and were burning them, um, books just in general were valuable. Oh yeah. You know, this is before the days of printing presses or you know even you know need books now. Amazon Kindles where <laughs> you know information is just readily available. If you owned a book, you probably were considered you know a, a pretty wealthy person. You know people didn't just walk around with copies of the Bible back then. Yeah. Um, and so for them to have these books uh, was a sign that that they're that, that that's some value, and we're going to burn that. And then the text tells us that the value of those books came to be about fifty thousand pieces of silver. If we're equating that to today's money, my understanding is we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars here, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Easy, yeah. Uh, so this is a big deal. We are giving all of that up because number one, we see the folly in it and the foolishness in it that this isn't real. What Paul's doing by the power of God, that's real. But this stuff we're doing, it's fake and it's phony. And then secondly, probably more importantly, is that they are compelled by the message of the gospel and that we're sinners. And what we're doing here, being involved in this garbage, it's sinful and it's wrong. And we're, you know, we're, we're, we're lying to people. And, and even worse than that, we're, we're kind of helping people to be you know, dabbling in, in, in occult things. Um, that's that's wrong and that's evil and we need we, we need forgiveness for that and we want salvation and these people are willing to give all of that up man that's what that's what repentance is all about it's making that 180 degree turn and you couldn't ask for more visible evidence fruits of repentance than this right here amen uh, when 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 our faith starts to uh, touch our wallet, Sometimes we get a little antsy and a yeah. little upset. I mean, because even like through modern day eyes, we might look at this and be like, I mean, there's eBay. Why don't you just like <laughs> sell your books? <laughs> You're not going to use them. Yeah. Um, or, you know, we might even think, ah, you know, just keep the books around. I'll, I'll just put it in the attic or, you know, what? just a reminder of the former life. No, it's we don't want to have any part of that. Done we don't want to influence anybody else with that either. Yeah. Uh, we might think, well, you know, they already believe it, so I'll just, you know, 
what sell this to them or, or whatever. Um, you know, modern day example, maybe we, we're listening to some kind of music or, you know, have some kind of obscene movies or, or whatever, uh, some kind of materials and we're like, I'll oh, just give it away or uh, just, little, no. I don't want to pollute no, somebody else. Not at all. Burn it. Get rid of it. Yeah. You know, when you, you think about this, I want to make another connection to Acts 8 since we've done that with this chapter 12 times already. <laughs> Um, but when uh, Simon the Sorcerer was told, uh, he tried to purchase the, mm-hmm. the gift to be able to you know, lay hands on people. Um, what he was told was, you know, may your silver perish with you. Mm-hmm. you know, here, the silver is perishing, yeah. but at least the people are saved. Yeah. You know, we cannot protect our, our wealth, our, our money, our, our livelihood, because eventually it's all going to be gone anyway. Right. Like the silver will perish. It's going to be gone. But are we going to die with it? Uh, we need to, to let the silver go, you know, whatever financial losses we have to encounter to be a servant of the Lord. If we have to quit our job because it's immoral or yeah. whatever. Uh, we need to take whatever step is necess- necessary to get rid of it. If if I have a problem with looking at things on, on the computer that I shouldn't, get rid of the computer. You know, there it's much better to you know cut ties with things. Maybe it makes my life more difficult. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's uh, it causes me financial losses or, or whatever. Um, but it's much better that I repent and do what the Lord wants uh, and and come out. Uh, you know, alive, you know, after I die. Yeah. Well, this is like, you know, the, the, the ruler of the synagogue that we noticed in the previous chapter. Is that correct? In the previous chapter back in Corinth? Yeah. Um, who, I mean, he's making a, a, a decision to become a Christian that's going to affect his livelihood, and it's probably going to put him at odds with, you know, his coworkers and so forth. I mean, these people here, all right, you've got, you got a, a, a significant number of people who are coming and, and, and making this change in their life. But this isn't everybody in the city of Ephesus that's doing this. This last half of the chapter, we're going to see very clearly, we still got a whole big contingent of folks in Ephesus that are still, it may not necessarily be in the, the magical arts, but they're certainly involved in you know, idolatry and, and things of that nature and uh, things where we're, we're making money off of um, you know, things that are just, just foolish and, and sinful and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, these people still got to you know, live lives and they got to interact with the world in which they live, but they're willing to, uh, to, to give up those things in order to serve Christ. And uh, I mean, that is what Jesus calls for, you know, a willingness yeah. to, to take up our cross and to follow Him. When we talk about taking up the cross, we're talking about a sacrifice. That's what's being... It's what happened when Jesus died on the cross, was a full self-sacrifice. And so he's calling upon us to uh, make those kinds of sacrifices as well. And yes, it may mean, and, and I've preached this before, and people are kind of like, oh, I can't even imagine someone doing this. It may mean leaving a job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I remember a guy, he wasn't even involved in a job that was sinful, but he was a trucker. And it was the kind of job that kept him on the road pretty much seven days a week. And he realized, I can't do that, and I'm not gonna, I'm not, never going to be able to, to, to worship God, be a part of a local church, develop relationships and friendships with Christians and foster those in such a way that they help me to grow and I'm an encouragement to them. He quit. Yeah. quit you know, and he'd been, he'd been doing it for, for decades. Gave that up. Had to find something else. He became a janitor uh, at a local school, but 
that's what he was willing to sacrifice in order to serve the Lord. And that's what we see these people here in Acts chapter 19 being willing uh, to do, even, even in their case, to great financial loss to them. Um, verse 20, uh, and, and actually, what I said earlier about kind of the closing of a section, this is the verse I was thinking of. Verse 20 is the closing of this section and yeah. the beginning of the next section. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Uh, and so that brings a close to this section. Then what happens in verse 21, really through the whole rest of the book of Acts, is what's stated here at the beginning of uh, verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in his spirit, or in the spirit, to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And so what happens from this verse all the way through the end of the book is Paul's trying to get to Rome. And that's what it's all about. You know, and he is tunnel vision about getting to Rome. Even though along the way there's going to be people that are going to be like, No, Paul, don't do that. Bad idea. Don't go there. Don't go to this place. Don't go there. Nope. Paul, I'm going. I'm determined to go there, determined to get there uh, and to go to Rome. I, and I want to go to Jerusalem too along the way. Um, lots of people said don't go there. Nope. I'm going there. I love the use of the word that Paul uses there at the end of verse 21. I must. I mean, this is Jesus again. Hey, what did what, Jesus say about that when uh, he was fixing to make his final trek toward Jerusalem? I must. Go to Jerusalem, Luke 9, verse 22. Um, there's that same Christ-likeness here about Paul. Uh, I, I know uh, what what is needed and what needs to be done, and I must do this. And would to God that we would all have more of that you know, must uh, kind of mentality about the things of God. Amen. Verse 22, And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he stayed himself, or he himself stayed in Asia for a while. We then get in verses 23 through the end of the chapter. We then get kind of this um, last little note about what happens in Ephesus before uh, before we kind of you know shift scenery a little bit. Verse 23. About this time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. In other words, there was a big disturbance. <laughs> For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Now, Artemis is the word that's used there uh, in, uh, in verse 24 in the, uh, uh, in the ESV. If you are reading from, uh, well, let me pull up just another translation here. I'm looking for um, King James. If you're reading a King James, it's going to say Diana. Same thing. Talking about the same thing. One is the, if I'm correct, is one's like the Greek name, one's the Roman name. Yeah. Uh, there were the different gods. And, I think uh, Diana's Latin. Or the Latin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, talking about the same thing, it's this goddess uh, named Artemis or, or Diana. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use Artemis because that's what my translation uses. That, okay. So we'll yep. stick with Artemis for... So there is this temple of, of, of Artemis, this temple of... Uh, for for Diana. And this was one of the big attractions for Ephesus. Um, it was a tribute to her. She was considered to be the Greek goddess of, of the hunt, the huntress, and she had this huge ornate building that was dedicated to her. I, I had here because I taught 
Uh, I taught Ephesians uh, a couple years ago, and I had it pulled up here, so I've got these. I don't have this memorized. I'm looking at this on my <laughs> on my previous PowerPoint. 450 feet long, 225 feet wide, 60 feet high. Um, e even by today's standards, I mean that's a that, that's a that's a big building. But especially by the standards then, this is a huge thing. There's pictures of this that you could pull up on the internet. Um, it served not only as a, as, a, as a temple for people to go and, and worship this God, but it also kind of doubled as a banking, as a bank, <laughs> like a banking <laughs> institution. Uh, so it was important, and, and it was. Again, it was an attraction. Uh, it brought all kinds of people from all kinds of places to come and, and see this great thing. You know, e even I, who don't even, I don't even believe in this stuff, if I'd lived back then, I probably would have wanted to go and see it. It would have been neat to see. Um, there's lots of stuff in the in the world even today that like yeah I may not believe in it but yeah it'd be kind of neat just to see it's neat to see what human beings are able to accomplish and build with their hands and uh, yeah that's that's pretty cool uh, nothing more uh, there may have been you know people like that probably a lot of people though were coming because they wanted to maybe even give their you know pay homage to uh, to, to to the goddess uh, themselves. The people there of Ephesus, though, recognize that there is, you know, some some lucrative business in that for them. And so, as is the case a lot of times when you go different places, if you go to Paris, France, to see the Eiffel Tower, chances are there's probably going to be some little shops there in and around Paris that sell maybe little miniature models of, of the Eiffel Tower or, if nothing else, magnets or other things, other paraphernalia that's got the Eiffel Tower uh, emblazoned upon it and that's lucrative business for for those folks. No different back then. You had people that sold little silver shrines of of the goddess, you know, Diana. Uh, there would have been maybe even little miniature models of the temple, maybe even that they sold. Don't know. All kinds of things. You know, world of possibilities there uh, for making money. And and the the point that Demetrius makes is, or the point that Luke makes is that this was uh, of no little business to those craftsmen. So here's people that maybe they had skills in uh, welding or, or wood cutting or you know stonemasons. Um, well, not only can we put that to use in you know building houses or buildings, but actually we can also put that skill to use in selling this merchandise as well. And um, this is a threat to them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think that um, this. You know, I like the way he. We're really building up the case here. Uh, we're seeing how much Paul did. I think that this helps us, too, to see, um, you know, because of all this traffic that's coming into Ephesus, it makes perfect sense why he spent so much time there. You could, you could teach a lot of people who are coming from a lot of different places in Asia. Um, and, you know, it's, it's right there. But, you know, as is always, you know, there's some way... If we are doing our job enough and spreading the gospel enough and making enough waves, then people are going to start noticing uh, in good ways and in bad. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're going to see what can happen sometimes if, uh, you know, what happens if we teach too many people? Um, and what happens if the gospel spreads, you know, what other people would consider too much? Yeah. And, well, and, and to kind of tie back to the, to the thing about... Um, the people with the, the sorcery books and so forth, when you start messing with people's wallets, yeah. that, that's when people pay attention. So here's something that's messing with some people's wallets. Okay, it was fine 
when when it you know didn't seem to be affecting us in that way. But now we've kind of got it. it. It's growing, and it's all right. He's he's persuading people to disavow uh, this stuff. Um, that's a problem for us. And so now we've took notice of that. Verse twenty-five. This Demetrius he gathered together with the workmen that were in similar trades, and he said to them, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. So the, the mention here of like, you know, here's there's the other people in Asia that are affected by this. Again, the touristy people, the people outside of, of Ephesus, those are the people we're trying to get the money from. I mean, people in Ephesus, they're probably not going and buying the, yeah. the, the, the trinkets and so forth. They live there. They see it every day. Uh, but it's the outside people. Now it's affecting uh, the, their uh, thoughts when they come into here. Um, he's here teaching that you know, gods that are made with hands, well, that's not really gods. And I, I just love... I love it when uh, you know someone who's not a Christian makes a, a, a true statement. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a statement of truth here. Absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, just like that demon making the statement earlier. It's like he's exactly right what he was saying. Um, verse twenty-seven. And there is danger not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. Hmm. So there is this uh, kind of secondarily, I mean, the first concern is, is our pocketbook. <laughs> but secondarily, there is concern for our most precious and adored God that we love so very much, you know, the dear, magnificent Artemis Diana. Uh, we love her so much, and uh, everybody loves her, and we just don't want to see her... You know, tarnished in this way, and uh, it's just funny how that's that's said. Secondly, yeah, maybe you know sometimes we open our mouth and, and we say what's actually most important to us at first, yeah. and this like, wait, I, I know I'm going to look ridiculous. I look like a jerk here. So, oh, and by the way, <laughs> yeah, it's going to totally disrespect this Artemis, who the whole world worships. So. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I think we do that with the Lord. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, we care too much about. Well, other people might think that, or mm -hmm. you know, uh, how how will this look, or what's that going to do? Instead of first thinking about what that's going to do to the Lord and what what that's going to do to His image, and, and this shows that these people were very much self-focused um, and not even truly sincere to the religion that they held. Yeah, his complaint here is is not about religion. His complaint is about. Uh, the economics of the situation. Uh, th that's where, and we're we're seeing we see here, you know, what's taught regularly throughout the New Testament. Some that Jesus regularly taught about. Paul, of course, would write about, uh, and that is the danger with with money. You know, money can certainly be a blessing. We need money in order to, we need money to do the Lord's work. Uh, yeah. uh, in, in a lot of ways, um, money in and of itself is not bad, but money can be bad, um, and that's why. You know, Paul would later write that the love of money is the root of all kinds of, of evil. And right here's uh, an example of that. Um, verse 28. When they heard this, this big crowd of people here, when they heard this, they were enraged. And they started crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And so, verse 29, the whole city was filled with confusion. 
and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. Uh, the mention here of, of the theater is probably a reference to this giant uh, amphitheater that existed in Ephesus and actually still exists to this day, probably not you know, in, in its full original splendor, but uh, you know, I've seen pictures of this amphitheater and it's impressive. It's like a 25,000-seat uh, amphitheater, uh, you know, that would have served as a venue for, certainly for, you know, what we think of, like, you know, for concerts and plays and that kind of stuff, but also served as a place, kind of as a, it's the municipal auditorium. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the place where, you know, when we needed to kind of have a town hall meeting, this is where you came. And you have an amphitheater, makes it handy because, you know, my understanding is people could stand down, you know, at the bottom on the stage and then the sound would then carry. You could just talk in like just a normal talking voice and the sound would carry. You'd be able to talk to everybody without the benefit of, you know, PA systems and microphones like we have today. Uh, and so they go into this, into this theater um, because we're going to kind of have an even bigger meeting. Now it's not just including the, the craftspeople of the town. Well, now we've got, we got all kinds of people that are being brought out. Now essentially the whole town's been brought out uh, for this. Once again, we got kind of a mob that's being created here. Um, verse 32, and this is how we know it's a mob. Some cried out one thing, some another. <laughs> this is, that's the very definition of a mob. For the assembly was in confusion. And then I love this. This is, again, kind of one of those funny notes, uh, but it's, it's kind of sad as well. Most of them did not even know why they had come together. <laughs> and, and that is the way that the mob mentality oftentimes works. And, yeah. you know, we, we think about this mob, like a physical mob of, of people crowded together shoulder to shoulder in that sense. But you know what? This mob mentality, we have our own 21st century version of it, and it's called Facebook. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Where, you know, people just hear bits and pieces here and there, and before you know it, we're riled up into a tissy, and we're shouting, and essentially, we don't even know what we're even shouting about. <laughs> and we don't even know what the fuss is about. We just heard some little tidbit over here and over there, and we just joined in with, that, with what everybody else was doing, and we are just adding to the confusion. And uh, there is that mention there of confusion a couple of different times here uh, in the text. And, and that's not what God's people need to be about. And you think about what's said in Corinthians, that our God is not a God of confusion. And I think it's safe to then say that God does not want His people to be a people of confusion, people who contribute to that confusion. We're people that are about, you know, truth and, and about helping people be able to see clearly. Uh, and so what that means is that means that we need to be people who are going to be uh, objective in how we discuss things. We're going to take a step back. We're not going to just be knee-jerk reacting to everything. Uh, we're going to gather facts and data and information uh, so that we can arrive at, at truth based upon, uh, based upon that evidence that's been uh, you know, presented before us. And then, once we have all that, well, then we'll speak. But until we've got all that, we're going to keep our mouth shut. How often have you seen someone share an article or news story that turns out to be from like three years ago um, that they're, they're trying to portray it as, oh, this is what's happening right now. That's every hour of every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and 
So if we are people of the truth, and if that's what we are trying to be, what does that say to people when we don't even care to research and look and just look at the date of the article that we are sharing? <laughs> right. Um, there's so much to be said about that. We can't blindly follow something just because someone we respect says something or someone that we trust or someone that we agree with says mm -hmm. something or because the title of the article or story you know, is aligned with what we believe and mm -hmm. what we think. Remember, we've already read in this chapter that uh, you know, Paul reasoned with people. It was a very logical approach, uh, sharing the gospel. Shouldn't that you know, influence our entire lives? That we are reasonable, that we are thoughtful, that we look and see, is this going to be harmful? Is this going to be helpful? Um, and it can be difficult. It can take time. But it's just like the people who were burning these books. They gave up a big part of, of what it was uh, for their livelihood. Can't we give up a little bit of our, you know, um, our own just desires to be right mm -hmm. and desires to be, uh, I don't want to get political, but to be political um, yeah. and that sort of thing. We need to look at and say, you know, is it true? Is, is this, and okay, if it is true, is it going to be helpful to share this? Right. Our world is so confused as it is, you know, um, certainly we're all confused to a degree with what's going on in our world right now. It's hard to know, you know, what to believe and what's what's true or not. Yeah. Um, but even underneath all of that, even before all of the you know, state of affairs that are existing in our world right now, our world is confused spiritually. And so, again, let's not pile on top of that you know, uh, all of this extra confusion where we join in again with, with, with just the mob and we're just doing what everybody else is doing and uh, we're just shouting because well, they're shouting too and I just felt the need to shout something. Um, th that's what's yeah. taking place here uh, in, 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 in the city of Ephesus. Um, verse 30, uh, maybe we already read verse 30, I'll read it again. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples wouldn't let him. Um, so, you know, Paul, a couple of his companions had gotten drug into all of this. They got pulled into all this. He's probably concerned, if nothing else, about, about them. Um, nope, hey, Paul, pull back. You know, we know, what your, we know what your personality normally would incline you to do, but come on, man, let's, <laughs> let's be careful here. Uh, there's, so there's a place for, you know, some caution and some reserve. Verse 31 even some of, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. This is dangerous. You know, we're not told exactly how many people are here, but we are told here in just a, a couple of verses, they've went on for two hours. So, so this is something that's been able to swell over the course of, you know, probably the better part of this afternoon. And so you can imagine more and more people coming, and it's just a, just a dangerous situation when you get lots of people together like this. Um, verse 32, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. Verse 33 now, some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So. So here was a guy that would not know really much about this uh, Alexander person. Maybe just some people you know, thought that, well, here's a guy who's 
we know him as being kind of a voice of reason. Let, let's put him up in front of everybody, and uh, you know he's able to kind of get folks settled down. Uh, nope, he's Jew, and uh, of course, lots of the, these these Greek people they only view they just view Christianity as just a subset of the Jewish religion already. So he's just kind of seen as just one of these Christ people. Uh, he's just no different than the rest of them. No, we don't want to hear him. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Um, and, you know, the, the people that are the loudest end up just kind of winning out, at least here in this for this moment. Yeah. Verse 35. Then when the town clerk had quieted the crowd. So here's a guy who, uh, I assume it's a guy, um, gets the opportunity to speak. Uh, he wants to say some stuff um, because there's some concern from this guy, I, I think, um, kind of from, from a civic standpoint. Um, you know, Ephesus had been given free city status by the Romans, um, and that meant that a lot of the, the, the local civil authority was in the hands of, uh, of this assembly. And we'll say something in just a second about this, this, this word assembly as it's used here uh, in, in, in the passage. Um, but that was all, that authority was given to them with the understanding that you're going to carry things out in Roman ways and you're going to carry things out in an orderly way because uh, if it's not, then that means we're going to have to come in there. The Romans are going to have to come in there and we're going to have to take over. Uh, and so I think there's maybe some concern here that like, look, if we end up having a mob riot here and we're burning stuff down, then, then Big Daddy Caesar is going to send the hounds down here and we're going to get a spanking. We're going to be in some trouble. And so I think that's probably what, what kind of is motivating this town clerk uh, to speak up here. Um, let's just go ahead and say something about uh, the, the assembly. Where was the word? Uh, we saw the word assembly already, didn't we? What verse was 32. it? 32. All right, verse 32. We saw that word uh, assembly. Uh, that word that is translated assembly uh, is the word, uh, the Greek word, ekklesia. And the word does mean called out. Um, and of course, that word then becomes used to describe uh, the church, uh, the ecclesia. Uh, we probably just want to be careful about just making like a direct correlation, uh, you know, because that, that gets thrown out about, you know, ecclesia means, means church and, eh, well, not necessarily. I mean, it means called out. And it meant an assembly, and it was something that existed even before the church was even a thing. Yeah. Um, but it is this idea of of people coming together, being called out. You know, in this case, people were called out from their homes to this location, to this place, um, to the to the theater where they were having the the assembly. And of course, we've then borrowed that to 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 make the idea that Christians we have been called out. The church has been called out from the world. And that's that's fine. It's fine for us to say that. We've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Peter says that in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, I get all of that. Uh, but, but that was not like specifically in that word when it was first spoken. I think we get in trouble sometimes when we look at Greek words and try to transliterate it. Yeah. We, I'm not a Greek scholar. You know, I, I look at, I would make mistakes like that all the time. Um, you know, we got to look at, okay, how was the word actually used? Well, it was used to talk about assemblies of people. You know, that was yeah. one way at least it was used. And so 
I think that should help us to to frame our mindset of what the church is, you know, because what are we except you know an assembly of people? That's yeah. what the church is. Yes. Um, as opposed to the definition that a lot of people have that the church is a building. Right. Um, you know, it's that's not it. And sometimes we focus too much on the building aspect and make that an idol and make that the thing that's important. You know, some I don't know what we think of this, but. Uh, some people have this mindset of, oh, you can't say that in the church building. <laughs> it's like, well, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I can't say if if I can't say it here, why am I allowed to say it somewhere else? You yeah. know, there's nothing special about that. It's the church is the assembly. It's the people, right? And that's uh, that should be our definition. You know, it's not some place we go. It's who we are. Right. And well, and even the the, the comparison here with with what was happening at Ephesus is a good comparison because what made this an assembly was not the theater. No, it became an assembly <laughs> yeah. once the people came to the theater. The theater just served as the the building, so to speak, yeah. for that assembly. And the so assembly it is, meets here. It's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so it's a good place. If nothing else, it is a good a good place for us to differentiate the the common meaning of church. If you if you did a Google image search of the word church, yeah. nearly every result you're going to get is going to be a picture of a building. On most yeah. churches' That's websites, true. what you'll see is a picture of the building, which. I understand why we do that. It's helpful for folks to be able to see what the building looks like, but in in the the, the average person's mind, you say church, they're thinking of a building. The um, whole like kids thing with the hands, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors and there's the people. Yeah. It's like no, the people are the church. Yeah. You know, you can't open the doors of people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I've 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 changed that with with <laughs> when I do that with kids, it's like here's the building and here's oh, the yeah, steeple, yeah. open it up and there's the people tagline which are the church <laughs> it doesn't rhyme but that's it's, the truth yeah not as fun but it yeah, it helps yeah so verse 35 when the town clerk had quieted the crowd he said men of ephesus who is there who does not know that the city of the ephesians is temple keeper of the great artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. The, the mention here of this sacred stone that fell from the sky uh, has to do with the, uh, th there was a, a, a meteor, right, that had fell uh, sometime before this, and the, the, the rock that had been discovered from that, uh, it was believed that it had, you know, mystical, magical powers in and of itself, and that it, 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 it emitted those powers, and, and I think maybe it was even kept in the temple, uh, from what I maybe understand. Uh, I think that's what's being referenced here. Uh, there's lots of superstition, uh, which is what all of Greek mythology is. I think Greek mythology is neat. I, yeah, in seventh cool. grade, I took Latin, and a big part of the, the semester was not actually learning the language. It was actually just learning about all the Greek uh, and Latin gods and so forth and the history behind it. And I think it's neat just from a story standpoint, but that's all it is to me is just a bunch of fiction. Yeah. I, I mean, up until recently, we didn't really know what's out there in space. And there's a lot that we don't know still. Yeah. And so you can see why, I mean, you can, only, you can see the sky above you, but you don't see, like, big rocks hanging out. And so... A rock falling from the sky, that's going to be a big deal. Yeah. Um, and so that would, that would be... You can see why they, they were so uh, enthralled by that. Yeah. So, well, so he makes reference to all that. He's saying, look, we, 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 we all still believe in this and got all this. Verse 36, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. <laughs> I kind of like the, you know, just straightforwardness yeah. here of this just do it. Uh, town clerk. Verse 37, For you've brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess, 
And, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about this man speaking up here is he kind of helps bring some clarity. You probably have to, to, to believe that there were people in that mob who had slowly but surely over the course of the afternoon had told themselves, this Paul and these guys who are with him, they're over here just bashing Diana and saying she's, she's nobody and uh, you know just ragging on her and making fun of her and laughing at her. That, that's not true. And this guy speaks up. They're not saying that. That's not what they're saying. They're just simply saying this about their God and what they want you to know about Him. And again, to the mind of most of these people, the God that Paul was preaching and Jesus that Paul was preaching probably just was another in the panoply of all the different gods that existed. Um, so hey, look, they're not here just trashing us. Um, the line about the robbers of the temples, maybe you know Demetrius and some of the others had said, well, they, they're, they're taking away our livelihood, our money. You know, they probably morphed and evolved along the way to be like, they're taking money right out of the treasury. <laughs> yeah, 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 which is the way, which, and that's, that's the way that Facebook thing works. Yeah. You know, you, yeah, you get like a, you get this, starts off with a whole paragraph or maybe a whole article and then it gets condensed down to a paragraph, <laughs> and then it starts becoming, you know, a sentence, and it becomes a portion of a sentence, and it's the telephone game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Verse thirty-six. The town clerk continues on. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. So here's this guy, kind of saying what I think was kind of mentioned about earlier. That like, look. If we're going to address problems, we got to do it in the right manner. You know, if we don't do it in the right manner, we're going to get in some trouble here. There are actual procedures that are in place that, you know, you have recourses for all of this. You make use of all of that. But this setup here, this ain't working, where we're just shouting and hollering and we're creating uh, a scene. Verse 39, if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. Verse 41, when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And so, um, kind of, you know, what kind of really gets built up here, lots of high drama uh, in this chapter, really kind of ends with a, a bit of a whimper. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, not uh, and actually, chapter twenty, verse one. You know, after the uproar ceased, then Paul just left. <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, there's there's something in th that statement there about you know, th there's no cause that we can give to justify uh, this commotion, and uh, there's probably a lot of applications, but maybe just one easy one is. When we're angry or upset about something, man, we need to we need to sit down and just do some examining and thinking about why am I upset? Mm. Um, you know, James will talk about how the the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Okay, don't want to do that. Um, Paul in Ephesians, you know, <laughs> interestingly, will write, "Be angry and do, and do not sin." So so anger is you know, appropriate at times. Um, and so what all that means is that means we, we need to stop and examine why we are getting worked up. Am I getting angry and worked up for, for right reasons? I mean, for a Christian, there are things we should be angry about. We should be angry at sin. When sin has taken place, that should make us upset. Jesus got upset 
when sin was taking place. That's why he came in and flipped over tables in the temple because sin was taking place uh, in there. Um, it, it can be right and it can be appropriate, but, but we probably just need to do this more often, what this guy says. Instead of getting all worked up into a commotion, we need to stop and think about, is there a justifiable cause for, for, for why I'm worked up this way? And that's just kind of, a, you know, it's kind of a side point, but this guy who's a, you know, a, a, a pagan, as far as I can tell, he speaks some good, truthful things along the way. <laughs> He does, and that's impressive. Uh, you know, you think there are ways to handle. If you have, if you do have a problem with somebody, what do you do? You know, do you blast them on Facebook? Do you uh, just try to make a bunch of noise about it? Um, no, like we're we're told, you go to that person, mm -hmm. that person alone. Don't talk about it to others. And sometimes what we do is we 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 use the guise of. Uh, let's, I want to tell you something so you can be praying for it. Or, I'm going to ask you a question because I want to confirm something and I just want to be sure that I, I'm going to do this the right way. It's like, what, are you gossiping? Yeah. <laughs> like, are we doing something that we shouldn't be doing? You know, if we do have problems with some somebody, go to them. Yeah. Yeah, let's figure that, we, uh, to be a people who, who loves complaining out loud so much and, you know, what that does is that, in, in some ways, it makes us feel big because, you know, we're getting our voice out there. and, and they're, They know that I won't back down from what I believe. But to be that much, we're afraid of confrontation. Mm -hmm. We don't like going to a person one-on-one. -on -one. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but that's what needs to happen a lot of times. And again, that is a side point from this, too. I don't want to get too far off in the weeds. But um, it is a point to consider. Yeah. You know, how, do we, how do we handle... Uh, controversy when it comes up. Yeah, that's just a, pr a good practical point. Um, so he 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 just concludes it and says, "Look, we, we we can't be doing this. You know, there's the danger of there's the danger of, especially in in, in that society, was that um, if, if we've got a riot, we got this big a big large assembly here, and everybody's shouting stuff." There's the danger that that's going to be perceived as maybe a conspiracy against against Rome, and and that's what's then going to cause them to call in the hounds, and we don't want that because it's not even what's going on here. Uh, what's going on here is we've got some folks that are they're hurting in their pocketbook. They want something done about it, um, but we have remedies for doing that, and so let's do it in that way. Um, and that then essentially kind of concludes um, Paul's time in Ephesus. Now. In chapter 20, we are going to see that Paul is going to have, you know, kind of this, this bittersweet moment um, with uh, the elders from the Ephesian church. Um, so Ephesus is not completely off of, off of the radar uh, as, far as, as far as this goes, but um, that is going to conclude kind of this leg of the journey. He's heading, again, he's heading toward Rome. That's where we're spiling towards, got some places that we're going to stop along the way, but uh, that's where Acts is ultimately going to culminate, and that's what we're going to be following over the course of these final um, eight, nine, well, no, nine chapters uh, of yeah. Acts. What else? Final thoughts on chapter 19. Well, I, I mean, just being able to, when we slow it down and we look at, at, at this word by word, chapter by chapter, um, you get a, a greater appreciation of Paul's journeys, of, of what he did, and you get a greater appreciation of what God did. You know, you think he spent two to three years here. Um, that's a long time. 
sometimes we think if I can't do something immediately overnight, then I must not be doing it right, mm -hmm. or this must not be real, it's not working. This took a long time. And, and Paul, you know, as, as busy as he was going from one place to another, to settle down in one area and to, to spend so much time with people, it shows that he valued that. Mm -hmm. I think we do. We need to as well. You yeah. know, we we won't. You know, this this daily thing. You know, we we grow bit by bit, day by day. Um, you know, think think of you know if you're a parent, you've seen your kids grow up, or, or think about no matter where you are, you you've seen someone who was used to be smaller who is now bigger. You know, physically. Um, and that doesn't happen overnight. That's that's something that it's just gradual. And sometimes, you know, I, I look back. We've been talking negatively about Facebook. One thing I like is is their feature of you know flashbacks that shows you on this day five years ago, mm -hmm. and I'll see a, a picture of Graceland or Casey or something, and it's like they were so little. How did they get so big? Yeah, it's day by day, and that's that's how our spiritual walk is. We if if we aren't the, Paul, if we're not, uh, you know, someone who can spread the gospel and teach, if we don't know a whole lot, you know, give it some time. Spend, invest that time daily. Let's let's get in there, and and that's the message that we've been talking about the whole time. We need to keep studying. We need to keep in there every single day, growing bit by bit, uh, little by little, um, to eventually, you know, you look back several years, you know, from now, it's like, whoa, yeah, I've, I've really come a long way mm -hmm. because of the grace of God. Well, you mentioned Paul, you know, spending the time here because he valued these these people for this extended period of time, and that'll be very evident in chapter twenty, the way that he talks to the Ephesian elders and the um, just the emotion that's evident in that final meeting with them. We'll notice that in chapter twenty, and then also in chapter twenty, we'll talk about why you shouldn't go to sleep in church. <laughs> that's always a great uh, good point. <laughs> that's always a great uh, <laughs> subject to discuss. But yeah, this, hey, Jason, look, we're. We've completed the terrible teens. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting into the getting into the twos next week, and so um, we look forward to talking about Acts chapter twenty then uh, next week. Thanks so much for listening.